We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. All right. We're podcasting. All right, let's uh, start off with a little news of the day. Uh, actually, this is old news, uh, but uh, Apple uh, released or announced the uh, Apple tablet, which everybody seems to be super excited about. Um, I, <laughs> I, I would be excited about it if it wasn't so damn expensive. I mean, this is, you know, typical with everything Apple does is uh, let's release something that's super cool. And because we have this ridiculously sycophantic fan base, we can charge whatever we want and we'll know they'll pay it because they, in, our, in their eyes, we can do no wrong. I mean, just go back to the Zealot podcast if you want to hear me, uh, you know, uh, chastise the Apple fanboy for their unwavering love of Steve Jobs. By the way, they need to cryogenically freeze Steve Jobs because if he dies, and by the way, not looking good. I mean, you know, he's had all kinds of internal organ problems. Um, I love me an internal organ, you know, on a nice day and you get that pipes going. Booyah. Anyway, yeah, not looking good. And the man's not going to live forever. When he goes... So may the stock price. So if I were all y'all, I'd start selling my stock now because it will take a major hit when Steve Jobs croaks. Because can you remember, before Steve Jobs came back to Apple, they were kind of floundering and they were looking for uh, money injections from Microsoft even. I mean, they were on bad times. And then Microsoft was like, oh, okay, well, if you uh, pre-install uh, Internet Explorer with all your operating systems, we'll give you X amount of dough. And they were like, fantastic. But then Steve Jobs came in and then they started, you know, doing the iPod and podcasting and uh, musical downloads and all this stuff that got him all this dough. And I think a lot of investors see Jobs as the only one who can run Apple. Now, whether that's true or not, who knows? I, uh, obviously, you know, lots of people have good ideas. And obviously, Steve Jobs didn't build himself an iPod. He didn't, you know, he's not like Tony Stark. You know, he didn't build any of these things. He just kind of looks around at these guys and goes, hey, you know what? We should have rounded corners on our windows. And they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, rounded corners. You know, it doesn't matter how how you know straight you think your corner is in real life if you just keep examining it down further eventually you'll get to a point where you will see that it is indeed a rounded corner and it might not be a huge angle but it's still rounded so in in our window space we should replicate that which is in nature which is having a rounded corner I'm not making this up. This is, you know, back in like OS like seven days. But this was a thing that he did. Now, mind you, he did not develop the rounded corner. He told some people to do it. 
So all you need is a guy with some good ideas, getting back to last podcast about a think tank. That's what they need to do. They need to hire themselves a think tank, which is just fun to say, right? Think tank, think, think tank, think tank. You know, it's one of those things where you just say it enough, no longer a word has lost all meaning. But getting back to the Apple tablet, um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I look at this thing and I'm like, okay, so it's, it's half the functionality of a netbook and twice the price. So, for, you know, for instance, I've got a Dell, uh, what is this thing? It's a netbook. It's, um, hmm. Oh, it's an Inspiron 910. Got this thing, $200, right? Okay, it doesn't have a lot of internal RAM. It's got, you know, four gigs for the operating system, but, dun dun dun, it's expandable, which the iPad is not. And, uh, so I just spent an extra, oh gosh, how much did this cost me? I think it was like an extra, $40. No, not even that. It was like $10. And I got uh, another eight gigs. Uh, and I put it in the SD card slot. And boom, now I can do all kinds of things. Oh, and it plays flash. Oh, and it has a full QWERTY keyboard. Oh, and it can do all kinds of stuff. Now, mind you, it doesn't have, you know, an internet connection, but I bet you you could buy, you know, Sprint has a dongle that you can plug into it and, you know, pay for internet services which if you want, which is what you have to do if you want internet service anywhere in the world with your iPad. And yeah, this doesn't this doesn't make phone calls either, but, you know, neither does the iPad, but this comes preloaded with Open Office and Skype. So I can Skype, I can make Skype calls anywhere I want. And $200, you know, an extra, you know, 10, 20 bucks for the expanded RAM, but still half the price of the iPad. And even better, I use it for all kinds of stuff. Like, you know how in past podcasts, I would yell at myself for not being able to read the list of things that I wanted to talk about. So I'd print out a list and all this stuff. Uh-uh, I don't do that anymore. Because I got this netbook, there's no fan, so it doesn't impede the uh, recording performance. Um, and uh, and I just, you know, I scroll up and down, I make changes, I do all kinds of fun stuff with it. It's got, you know, Wi-Fi built in. I don't understand why people would pay twice as much just for a pretty looking thing. I mean, there is form and then there is function. And are you really going to pay twice the price for form and no keyboard? That That's a big deal because, you know, a keyboard... If you want to write things, I mean, you know, and if you don't, that's fine. Maybe an iPad's for you, but at some point, I'm guessing you're going to want to write stuff. And yes, they have the pretty operating system where you swipe your finger across it and it does this gratuitous animation of the page turning and all this. Really? Is, is the gratuitous animation, is the look, is the form factor, is that really worth the insane doubling of price? Not for me. I mean, look, if you're going to buy a whore, right, the form is the function, right? You're going to pay for a more attractive prostitute. I mean, that's just a given because that's what you're buying. You want a pleasurable, orgasmic experience by, and that's the way you're going to get there. You're going to have a less pleasurable, orgasmic experience with an ugly whore is what I'm saying. Whereas, 
I will read the words on the page, and I will guarantee you I will not jizz by doing the sweep of my finger and watching the page turn. I know there are some Apple fanboys out there who will. God love you. I am not going to jizz my pants while doing that. Uh, Oh, before we get on today's topic, let's talk a little bit more about Avatar. So uh, I was speaking of news, news being that uh, Avatar, while I was away, got nominated for Best Picture by the Oscars. That, I, I, I mean, the characters are no good, the dialogue is no good, the story is no good. Okay, so a lot of people saw it. Okay, so it had stunning visual effects. Win all the effects awards you want. But don't win Best Picture, because it's not the Best Picture. And everybody's like, well, it broke, you know, all these records for box office attendance. No, it didn't. It broke the record for money it earned. And how did it do that, you ask? Oh, so glad you did. It it earned it because the ticket price, and I saw a stat, you know, float by me in the news the other day, and it was said something like 80% of the people who saw Avatar, saw it in IMAX. And I don't know what the percentage of people who saw it in 3D were, but keep in mind, everything, you know, all of those factors increase the ticket price. So it's another $3 for IMAX. It's another 3 or $4 for 3D. So yeah, of course, it's the highest grossing movie of all time because it's it, you're jacking up the price of the ticket. I mean, it's almost double the ticket price now. Of course, it's going to be the highest grossing movie. And what was also interesting uh, about Avatar is I heard James Cameron interviewed on Fresh Air. It's a pretty good interview, actually. Um, but he brings up the fact that most of the plants on, uh, was it Pandora? Oh, yeah. Named your planet Pandora. Wow. So original. Wow. That can't, that can't really be a, um, thinly veiled, uh, box of problems, could it? Jamie? Huh? <sighs> jackass uh he he, most of the plants on pandora were uh replicas of undersea plants and every once in a while you know they would try and come up with new plants that had never been seen before and every time they would try to do it uh like somebody would come into the office like two or three days later and be like nope sorry you guys it already exists on the seafloor haha uh but anyway so that it totally makes a lot of sense because uh one of the things Cameron is credited for is creating all that those planets and that and that you know vegetation and those forests um and he did a bunch of stuff underwater and it makes sense yeah you know he has his own submarine he made a bunch of 3D underwater movies totally makes sense that you know cuz a lot of that stuff does react like underwater plant life okay I'm not done with Avatar. Uh, there's actually going to be some more coming up. And the reason why is, of course, because we went to New Zealand. And that's uh, half of today's topic is uh, New Zealand. The other half of the topic is um, why are things not easier? And why? And what do we do to make things harder? And what do I do to make things harder? Uh, and how do I try to fix it? And, and all these topics kind of weave together. Uh, but uh, mostly it's going to be a lot of New Zealand talk. So let's get to it. We have friends who are living in New Zealand now, and which is the reason why we went. But 
it's it's a great reason to go. I mean, really, you don't need any reason to go to New Zealand. It's it is uh, it is like being at the end of the world. And I don't mean end of the world like, you know, raining frogs, you know, kind of uh, end of the world, you know, apocalypse sort of. Although it did rain um, t- tadpoles just one day while we were there. But otherwise, it was a lovely time. Uh, so here's something I didn't know about New Zealand until we started planning this trip. New Zealand is actually split into two islands. Who knew? And what's crazy is... Uh, there is a drastic difference between the North Island and the South Island, and the the difference between them is like a three-hour ferry ride away. So the North Island has all the big cities, yeah, Auckland, Wellington, the bigger cities. I shouldn't say big, bigger uh, than the rest of the cities in New Zealand. The South Island has all the tourist stuff. So it has, you know, access to the glaciers, and it has glowworm caves, and it's got, you know, all that fun stuff. So we spent the bulk of our time in the South Island. The deal with New Zealand is, though, is, you know, most of the vacations we had taken up to this point were, you know, you go to Paris, and you stay there for a week, and then you get on a train, and you draw, and you get on the train, yet you drive the train. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, socialist countries. They make you drive your own train there. You get on the train, and you go to, you know, the next city, and then you stay there for three or four days, and you get on another train, and you go to the next city. And, um, you know, it was all done by train because, you know, it was it, we had really just only traveled to uh, Western Europe and it's all, you know, very densely populated and, you know, you just take trains between everything. Nope, not New Zealand. New Zealand, they do have trains, but they're very limited in terms of frequency and they don't really go everywhere. So, you know, we decided, OK, we're going to take a car and we're going to drive and they drive on the wrong side of the road. I'm not going to say the other side of the road. No, the wrong side. And uh, I started out driving, and I never, ever, ever got used to it. I would see somebody coming around a bend, and I don't know what it is, but my brain just was wired to the right side of the road. And I would see them coming around on the right side, and I would freak out. I mean, I knew I was on the left. It was obvious I was on the left. And yet I would jump every time. And here's the other thing. This is going to fold right into our other topic of, why are, you, why are you making things so hard? Why can't things be easy? I, by accident, rented a stick shift, an, a manual transmission vehicle. Now, I have... I, uh, we have friends who enjoy themselves a manual transmission car. I like you. You're still my friend. But there is something mentally wrong with you. Because there's no reason for it, right? Like, why would you do that? Why would you, why would you create this artificial impediment to your life? I mean, th- we don't have the Autobahn. Here in the States, uh, you're not uh, Richard Petty. Oh, Petty. Petty is where I'm going with this. You are in stop and go traffic every day, shifting and upshifting and downshifting. Look, they make a rule that you cannot talk on your cell phone. Now, it's not talk on your cell phone. It's hold the cell phone in your hand. Why? Because they have deemed it that 
you, you know, it is safer to drive with both hands on the wheel. That's what they've, that's what they've figured out. I, look, I, I'm assuming they did research. I, I don't know. But in stop-and-go traffic, I would say easily a good 50% of your time is your hands, it, only one hand on the wheel. That, how is that safe? How is that safe for anybody? You know, I understand in, in the olden days, in the golden age of cars, uh, you had to, right? That was your only choice was manual transmission. Hell, they didn't even have, you know, synchro mesh. You had to rev your engine just right and get the gears in. Uh-uh. We're done with that. We don't do that anymore. Now it's put your car in drive and you drive. And there are, you know, oh, I need to, I don't want to be bored while I'm driving. Look, I understand if you lived in the flatlands of Kansas, but we live in the hustle and bustle of the San Francisco Bay Area. There is towns from San Francisco to San Jose. There is no nothing in between. It's just one town after another. San Francisco Bay Area from the air looks like Coruscant, that that sort of all-city planet in uh, episode two or three or whatever of Star Wars. There is, the world is exciting enough. Driving is exciting enough. There are a bunch of lunatics on the road. You got to keep your eyes out. There's enough going on. You don't need to throw in shifting and clutching and gripping and am I in first? Am I in third? I don't know because you can't look down because then you might kill somebody. Really, seriously, can we just abolish stick shifts? It's just, it's just a hazard. And if we're going to abolish holding a cell phone in your hand, we got to abolish stick shifts. I mean, that's just the way it goes. But really, let's, let's get back to New Zealand and, and why you should go to New Zealand. It is stunningly beautiful, right? It's just enormous green mountains everywhere. And, you know, I, I said the, the other the other podcast that we have seasons in uh, in California. I don't really think they have seasons in New Zealand because it seems to rain all the time because we went in the summer and it rained and uh, it's foggy and the fog will come in and 20 minutes will be gone. I mean, it's like four seasons in an hour. and But stunningly beautiful. I mean, if you really want to just see what New Zealand is like, go rent yourself any of the Lord of the Rings movies, because those were all uh, shot in New Zealand. And most of it is, you know, what New Zealand really looks like, all the scenery, everything. I mean, mind you, Helm's Deep was, you know, a lot of CG and whatnot. But uh, it, you know, all the countryside, that's what New Zealand looks like. By the way, if you are a huge Lord of the Rings fan, and you say, I want to go to New Zealand, I want to see where it's shot, I want to see what, you know, all that stuff, don't bother. Because it it doesn't look like the movie in the sense that there are no villages, there are no huts, there's one tiny, tiny piece of Hobbiton that is left, but for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe it's safety, maybe it's copyright, I don't know, they took the doors and windows out of all the little Hobbit dwellings. But other than that, it's all gone, right? So you'll see a field or a mountaintop, and you'll be like, uh, I guess this is from one of the movies. I mean, you could, we had our friend who was there, he took us to the spot 
where uh, the ring wraiths ride by and the hobbits are hiding from them. And if you're friends with me on Facebook, uh, we, we have the pictures up there. Um, I would never have found that spot. I mean, if you have a guide, maybe you, you know, he'll show you all around. But uh, our friend had a book that was the guidebook to, you know, location shots of Lord of the Rings. And they asked Peter Jackson, they said, what's your favorite locations uh, that you shot on? And he said, oh, well, it's, it's the locations you, you can't normally get to. Like, they're inaccessible by road. The only way to get to them is by helicopter. Now, I'm guessing everybody who is listening to this podcast does not have enough money to go to New Zealand, rent themselves a helicopter and a guide to tool them around to all the locations that Peter Jackson really loved that are inaccessible by roads. So basically, what you're going to see are all the things that, you know, are not his favorite locations. But fear not. New Zealand is a lovely, lovely place. So you might as well just go and enjoy it. But I will say New Zealand has ruined us for waterfalls, right? Like, it just seems like every trip we go on, we went to Paris and we got ruined for crepes. Uh, we went to Italy and we got ruined for gelato. Uh, and we went to New Zealand and we got ruined for waterfalls because we never need to see another waterfall ever, ever again. Because, I mean, what, what, what could you possibly have for us uh, that will be worthy, that can rival the New Zealand waterfall? Uh, and there's a ton of waterfalls in New Zealand. So... We've seen it. We, we don't need to see another one because we're going to look at it and we go, nah, yeah, it's okay. So getting back to driving uh, for a second in New Zealand, driving, <laughs> one of the other fun, and by fun, I mean scary things about driving in New Zealand is uh, they have roundabouts. And it's not like, uh, you know, uh, National Lampoon's European vacation. That's a big roundabout. No, this these roundabouts are probably about... I don't know, 10 feet across, six feet across, something like that. And the why they are scary is, uh, you know, normally when you come to a four-way stop here, you look to your right. If no one's there, that means you have the right of way. And then you go. Well, in a roundabout, there are no stops. It's all just yield. And, you know, whoever's on the right has the right of way. So what you have to do is you have to start looking straight ahead of you and then scan to the right all the way another, you know, 90 degrees to your right. And then judging all of that without stopping and figuring that, you know, is that guy going to kill me if I try to go out in front of him? Can he get from straight ahead of me all the way around the circle and in front of me? You know, it's it's it, it's this massive judgment word problem that you have to work out in your head before you decide, do I go and stop? And then, of course, you know, you have to say, well, like, is there a jackass behind me? And all of this while operating a stick shift. Because if the jackass behind you is like, no, you can totally make it, and then he stomps on it, which I've seen people do here, where they're like, at yield signs, and they're like, go, bam, smack, crunch, uh, and of course, you know, I was very cavalier about not getting the extra insurance that Hertz Rent-A-Car uh, wanted to offer us because it would have doubled the price of the rental car. But don't go to New Zealand if you want to relax 
because it is the outdoor adventure capital of the world. And what's weird about New Zealand is there's a ton of people who are there who just seemed like they were backpacking and then they ran out of money. So, you know, you ask your waitress and you say like, wow, where are you from? And she goes, oh, Canada. How'd you wind up here? Yeah, backpacking around, you know, stopped. And and you can say, well, you know, how did you know she wasn't from here? Because the accent in New Zealand is strange. Um, if you go back and listen to the Australia podcast, uh, Virginia uh, hits on it a little bit. But basically, the accent is this weird, flat uh, version of the Aussie accent. So um, where in Australian, you would say, no worries. You know, very big, and you move your mouth a lot. Now, worries. Uh, where in the New Zealand accent, it's all like everybody is doing a really bad ventriloquist act, right? So it's all about moving your mouth as little as possible. So, and and it's weird for a country of people who are speaking English. I have never had such a hard time understanding people. There were times. I had no idea, and I, I, I knew I could ask them to repeat it, but it wasn't going to matter. It wasn't going to get any better. So I was just like, um, no, no. So the classic example we have of the accent is uh, we would pull into a hotel, and they would say, um, well, hey, you got a chicken at reception. I'm sorry? Chicken. Chicken. Chicken at reception. So you see? Don't move your mouth. By the way, the translation of that is check in at reception. Now, because they don't move their mouth, I stare at mouths a lot just trying to figure out what people are saying. Uh, Because they don't move their mouth that much, it makes it even harder to figure out what they're saying. They do have a couple of other weird slangy things uh, in New Zealand. Uh, They have sweet as. So I don't know sweet as what. Exactly. Um, but they'll say like, uh, like you know, you'll just see a, a, a nice car go by and you go, oh, sweet as. Sweet as? Okay. So uh, the, we, we, another person that we had met uh, down there, she likes to, you know, just do anything with an as at the end, like nice as, cool as, peachy as. Oh, and then they also say good on you. All right. I guess that's have a nice day sort of thing. Good on you. Um, and their legal system uh, does not seem to be hell-bent around suing each other much like ours is. So, for instance, they have a thing called the Flying Fox, which is uh, a thing that they have set up at the playground. And it's kind of like a zip line if you've ever done it, but it's completely unsupervised, nobody around, and it's um it's just a, a wire and with a ramp. So you stand at the top of the ramp, you grab onto the rope. It's got a little like kind of rubber seat and you sit on and you just fly down this wire. And the only thing, and then what happens is they have like um some old tires on the wire at the very end. And what keeps you from smacking into the telephone pole that the wire is connected to at the other end is the pulley that your rope is attached to hits these rubber tires. And 
I swear there were times I got parallel to the ground. I was completely horizontal at some points when when my pulley hits the tires and goes and it just you're hanging there. It it's a little frightening, but th- this would never ever work in the United States because this thing is just prone to disaster. But I guess I guess they just don't sue each other in New Zealand, so it's not a big deal. So the other thing that's that's crazy about New Zealand is everything is expensive. Everything. And I guess the rationale is, well, where else are you going to go, right? Because, you know, the nearest place you can go is, well, I guess you could go to Sydney, which is another four hours away, or you could go to Japan, which is another, I guess it's like another eight hours away, but it's not, you know, cheap to fly between the islands. And so they're just like, nah. So, and then I'm not just talking about food, I'm talking about everything. And, you know, uh, there was a, a case to be made that, you know, in America, they jack up the price of everything because it's all, you know, cheap labor, you know, done in China by kids and, you know, that's wrong and all that stuff. But, you know, we saw things like a PlayStation, for instance. PlayStation lowered their price to $300. We saw a PlayStation in New Zealand that was like 520 something dollars. And even if you do the math, the math is uh there, you know, for every 75 cents of our dollar is like one of their dollars. But even if you do like the the three-fourth discount math, it's still well over four hundred dollars for this PlayStation, which in the United States is $300. So it's like, how do you justify that price hike? You can't. You can justify it because where else are you going to go? Not that that's a real justification. The other thing I learned sort of tangentially to this trip is uh, we had, I, I decided I wanted to buy a digital SLR for this trip. I figured, you know, this is going to be, the whole trip is going to be just nothing but photographs. Let's buy ourselves a, a, a nice camera. Not a great camera, not a super expensive camera. So I bought ourselves the uh, the Canon uh, Digital Rebel XSI. Lovely camera. Couldn't be more happy with it. I love it. And when we got there, I started noticing everybody, not everybody, the majority of the people are shooting Canon. And and by people, I mean the tourists that are there. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the tourists that come from other parts of New Zealand. I'm talking about all over the world. And I was really stunned how many people from all over the world were there in New Zealand. I mean, it was Americans, it's Germans, it's it's all just all folks from all over the, I mean America is relatively close compared to Germany and France and all and western europe and all that I mean for us it's a 13 hour flight I mean these folks they really must have wanted to go to New Zealand cuz they came from all over and I would say easily 75% of them were shooting canon uh, probably 20% of them were shooting Nikon, and then every once in a while you'd get an Olympus or a Sony thrown in the mix. But really, if you're going to buy yourself a digital SLR, 
I'm not saying that Nikon is bad, but what I am saying is I would buy a camera. I would buy anything technological that has the greatest user base, right? So that means you're going to get cheaper lenses because there's just going to be more people and there's going to be more production. It's going to be cheaper to make these lenses because the lenses are camera specific. You can't just buy a telephoto lens. You have to get a telephoto lens made for your camera. And I don't mean camera model. I mean camera manufacturer. It's As far as I know... Uh, all the digital canons, and it has to be a digital canon because there's some image stabilization that's included in the lens, whatever. All your digital canons can use any of the lenses, and all your digital Nikons can use all, all of those. But you want to put your money on a horse that has the most support. So if you have, you know, if you have questions about how your camera works and you can't get through to technical support. By the way, I've been calling Canon technical support a lot because I've got not just this camera, but I got a couple other Canon things. I'm really, I'm really pleased with their technical support. I mean, yeah, they don't always answer. I mean, they don't always answer my question, but it's, it's technical support based in the United States, which means you can understand these people, nothing against our friends overseas, but sometimes they can be tough to Tough to get through that accent. Um, and they seem very knowledgeable about their, their product. So I, I and the rest of the world feel good, uh, about putting our money on the cannon horse. So let's get into the specifics of, uh, New Zealand in terms of what we did. We flew into Auckland and from Auckland we flew to Queenstown. Queenstown is, it's cute. I mean, it's got, you know, a little lake and it's got this enormous hill and then you can take the gondola up and the view is amazing. And they've got like these kind of go-karts that you can ride down the mountain. If you're going to Queenstown, they've got uh, this really cool um, coffee place called Joe's Garage, which I bought a hat at because I loved it so much and because I Stupid me, forgot to pack a hat. Oh, that's the other thing about New Zealand. You got to bring sunscreen. You got to do it. I, I don't care if you're going in summer, if you're going in winter. There's the, the sun is significantly stronger in New Zealand. And if you don't bring sunscreen, it'll run you 20 bucks down there. Okay, so from Queenstown, uh, we go to Te Anau, Tanu, Tano, Ta-da. And uh, we go to uh, Milford Sound, and we take the boat through Milford Sound, and we see these amazing uh, waterfalls and crazy uh, uh, fjords. I'm not going to explain what a fjord is because it's boring, but uh, let's just say it's really super cool. Uh, they have glowworm caves there, which are just uh, worms that uh, attract uh, other bugs by glowing their butts. It's kind of like fireflies, except they're worms. We go back to Queenstown because here's the thing about New Zealand. It's not a direct drive to anywhere, right? Because it's just mountains everywhere. So you can't go through them. You can't go over them because they're like, you know, 6,000 foot mountains. So you got to go around them. And so, you know, driving between cities is easily four hours. And that's four hours between towns. That's not necessarily towns you want to stop at. Now, I know you hear me saying like, oh, this is beautiful. And that is beautiful. There are ugly parts to New Zealand. A town like Haast, for instance, 
it's just gross. You know, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you got to go see the one picture of Host we took. It's just a gross little town. From uh, there, we went to Fox, Fox Glacier, uh, where we took a helicopter ride to the glacier. And it, it, hiking around the glacier was pretty damn awesome. Uh, it was very, very cool. Uh, from there, we went to Christchurch. Skip Christchurch. Christchurch is kind of a dud. Um, we read in the guidebook after the fact that a lot of the cool stuff that happens happens in this weird called Hamner Springs. We did not go there, but boy, that seems where the hip happening place is to be, is Hamner Springs. From uh, Christchurch, we went up to Picton, Picton, and got the uh, ferry, and we took that to Wellington, and then Wellington we did uh, the, the last three or four days we were there. Now... One of the things we did in Wellington is we went to Weta. Now, it's not Weta, it's Weta. And I know it's Weta because that is like the national bug of New Zealand is the Weta. And it's like a cricket and there's like nine different varieties of it. And why Peter Jackson named his special effects studio Weta, I don't know. It doesn't seem... It doesn't seem all that good. I mean, just, I mean, why would, I wouldn't name my studio Cricket or Grasshopper or Bug or, I mean, it just, it's not, it's not a pretty looking bug either. It's kind of a gross, weird looking bug. Something you'd feed an iguana or a snake. But while we were in Wellington, we went to the Weta Cave. Now, this is an ingenious move by Weta, because what they had were a bunch of tourists who were like, I want to go see Weta. Well, they don't want a bunch of tourists roaming around Weta. They want, you know, all y'all to mind your own business because they've got, you know, top secret intellectual property going on, not only for their own movies, but movies that they are making for other people. So just don't. Okay. I mean, I don't, you know, prowl around your workplace, and clearly your workplace is not as interesting as our workplace. But, you know, is this is, reminds me of uh, a move that um, Boeing, is it Boeing? No, well, NASA, whatever. Uh, Lockheed Martin down by the, down, um, down the way here on 101. A bunch of people noticed that they had a Wi-Fi signal, and they were trying to poach the Wi-Fi signal, not because they wanted any top secret Lockheed Wi-Fi information, but they wanted some Wi-Fi. Well, they were tired of, uh, Lockheed was tired of people trying to break into their Wi-Fi. So they just said, screw it. We'll set you up a free Wi-Fi right there on the freeway. So anybody who wants it, they can just get on, get their free Wi-Fi off our network. Don't worry about it. Just go for it. Which is all really anybody wanted, which is kind of what Weta did. Weta set up the Weta Cave. And what it is, is basically just a place where you can go and look at Weta stuff and you can see a little movie specially made for the Weta Cave and you can feel like you visited Weta without, you know, intruding on anybody's job. It's a really pretty ingenious idea. And then, of course, they'll sell you things and there's stuff that, you know, collectibles. One of the really, really cool things that they did was one of the model makers. Now, I should back up a little bit. After seeing the Weta movie, you realize, I really just thought Weta was a digital effects company. Oh, no, 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 no. They, they, their beginnings are in practical models. 
And then it wasn't until uh, they, they did The Frighteners, uh, that Michael J. Fox movie where he sees dead people. Um, it wasn't until then that they were like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we can get into digital effects as well. So when you see a movie like um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they did everything for that. They built the chariot that the White Queen rides in on. They digitally did the polar bears pulling the chariot. They did the armor, the swords, everything for every military real person in that. So they did, they do the whole thing soup to nuts. It's really impressive because most places uh, who work in film, they do one thing, right? They do digital effects or they do practical or they build models or that, I mean, that's their thing. But you go to Weta and you go to New Zealand and, and it makes sense because you kind of have to, right? If you're in New Zealand shooting something like Lord of the Rings, you can't just pop over to Los Angeles or pop over to LucasArts in Marin or pop over to any other number of places where they handle effects. Yeah, okay, sure. You know, it's it's the you know age of the internet and you can shuttle things back and forth and render them here and model them there and all that stuff. But it's just so much easier if you can do it all in one place. Oh, and by the way, New Zealand's internet is crap. So it's probably good that you don't depend on that. So another thing I learned by going to the Weta Cave is that everybody is kissing Cameron's ass for Avatar. What did he really do in Avatar? He wrote the script. He decided that there needed to be better 3D. Well, okay, duh. I think we've all said that for the last... 30 years. Yeah, there needs to be better 3D. There needs to be better motion capture, which is something I guess he also did. But he didn't design the technology. He didn't design... The only thing he did was write the script. And the script is terrible. I mean, you see what those folks at Weta Digital did. They're the people who should be getting the praise, right? They're the ones who made the floating mountains. Okay, yeah, James Cameron said, there should be floating mountains. But nobody gives a crap that there are floating mountains. They care about how awesome the floating mountains look. They're the ones. And, and what's really, what really bugs me about this whole deal is, is no one's saying it. Like, if it wasn't for the fact that, like, you know, I care and I, and I, and I look into these things and I'm like, wow, you know, let me, you know, who is, who is behind this? You would never, ever know in a million years that Weta Digital was doing any of this, because nobody ever talks about them. Like, is Weta Digital being interviewed by Terry Gross on Fresh Air? No, it's Cameron. And I have to say, I, I you know, I, I talked about surrogates uh, on the last podcast, the uh, podcast, uh, the gasp, the, the movie with Bruce Willis. The, it is practically Avatar. Like, Cameron must have crapped himself when he saw that movie coming out, because it is, it is practically Avatar. I mean, it's, you know, you lie in a bed, and you got things over your eyes, and you project yourself into a robot body, and the main, one of the main characters is in a wheelchair. But Cameron was like, eh, I got blue people. That's fine. It's better. Way better. Blue people. So, let's talk about making our lives easier for just a second. Um, I, I hinted at... Uh, at the the stick shift, just abandoning it to make our lives simpler. 
But let's talk about other ways we could make our lives easier. Uh, you know, one of the things that I noticed while we were in New Zealand is, uh, you know, we'd get our food and then the waiter, common, common move, not just in New Zealand, but all over the world. Would you like some fresh ground pepper on that? Would you like some fresh ground pepper on that? I don't know. I haven't even tried it yet. How about this, Chief? How about you just leave that pepper mill here? I'll do it. If I want pepper on it, I'll do it. And maybe, you know what? I'll eat a little bit. Maybe it needs some more pepper. What am I going to do? Flag you down? Come over? Hey, uh, you know, I know I said I wanted pepper on it and you gave me some pepper, but now I want some more pepper. Oh, you don't have the pepper mill on you? Go. Well, why don't you go? I know. No, I know you have other tables to worry about. Why don't you come back with the pepper mill? Because I really could use some pepper. Really? Do we really need to go through all that? Like, what is the what is the deal with having a dude who grinds the pepper for you? I mean, there are so many other things I would rather have him do for me than grind pepper. How about you just leave it on the table and I'll do it? Because I haven't even tasted my food yet. How do I know if it needs pepper or not? Are we going to am I, am I going to ask you to stand around while I masticate? Yeah, and figure out whether I need fresh ground pepper. You know, there's that whole bit on Saturday Night Live where um, Adam Sandler is the the pepper grinder guy, and uh, Dana Carvey is, is explaining to him, uh, you know, how to grind the pepper. And at the end of the sketch, uh, Michael McKeon comes out and he's like, "Hey, pepper boy, you're fired. Um, I just put these grinders on everybody's table. Easy." That is so easy. Why doesn't everybody do that? Another thing that should be easy, but for some reason people make difficult, and I don't understand this, is the strapless dress. Okay, what what are you accomplishing with the strapless dress? It doesn't make you look good. It flattens out your boobs. And the entire night you spend fiddling with it, futzing, hiking it back up. Are, do spaghetti straps look that bad to you that you can't have that? I mean, really? I mean, I understand if you're on the beach and you care about tan lines, but most of the time in the strapless dress, you're out. You're out on the evening. You're out on the town. The sun is down. There are no more tan lines to be worried about this evening. Don't get the strapless dress. It looks bad. It's a pain in the ass. Just don't bother. So I notice that parenthood could be, should be easier than it is. You see animals in the wild. Like we went to the zoo while we were in uh, New Zealand. Those parents to all those animals, they don't have a hard time with it. There's no arguing. There's no fighting. We saw chimps. They were running around throwing apples at each other. It was fine, man. But the reason why parenthood is so hard is because we have manners. We have rules. We have etiquette. You know, that's 90%, I think, of a parent's struggle with their child is say thank you. Say thank you. What do we say? What do we say? Come on. Come on. What do we say? Say thank you. Whereas if we were animals, it would just be like, apple here, tomato there, run, eat, shit. Awesome. No, because we have to have struggles. And then the children constantly push boundaries with their parents. No, I don't want to do that. No. Why? Why are you saying no? Why not? Just do it. 
It, it'll serve you better. Oh, because you're testing your bounds and your boundaries and you're, and you're trying and you're pushing and you're seeing what you... Oh, my God. It, you know what? In the chimpanzee world, you push your boundaries, the lead ape kills you and eats your brain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. True story. Brains. So, in a way that I have made life harder on myself is my ridiculous fear of heights. And I can't explain it. I, you know, it was weird. Like, I didn't used to be this way, but I have this crazy fear of heights. I have this fear of flying. I hate turbulence. I hate the whole thing. Uh, it was It was really neat, though, on this trip when we went to the glacier... I had no fear of the helicopter. I had a little bit of fear going in. I thought, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I'm going to be scared shitless of this helicopter. It was awesome. There was no turbulence. And it was like, I felt like a superhero. I felt like I was flying like a superhero because it's not like a plane where a plane, even, you know, even the water, the tarmac, the whatever, where, you know, you're getting ready to fly and the whole thing's shaking and then you're, and then it finally goes up helicopter you know the you get in the blades spin up and then the whole thing just lifts off the ground and you're just floating along ah it was so great in fact i think that was even better than being on the glacier itself was the sort of floating weightlessness of flying in the helicopter and just not being scared at all now mind you we had friends who went and did the helicopter ride of the Grand Canyon, and they said it was insanely frightening because it was bumpy and volatile and all this stuff. Yeah, that, that, that does not sound fun. But this, if you can get a helicopter ride in calm weather, it's beautiful. But I still haven't figured out how to wrestle with my fear of heights. I keep telling myself, oh, this is something that people do all the time, and they wouldn't do it if it wasn't safe and all this stuff. I don't know. I got to keep working on it. Well, that's all the traveling we're going to do for now. Nothing planned coming up. For the music, a bright brown. For me, for Tyler Durden. Let's do this one more time. Till then! From the depth of my-